Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the uh, real pleasure to uh, talk to the author of Dangerously Divided, How Race and Class Shape Winning in, and Losing in American Politics. Uh, the book is published this year by Cambridge University Press, and the author is Zoltan Heinal. Zoltan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Great to be here. Yeah, such a pleasure. Uh, uh, very, very timely book about such an important topic. Uh, before we get started, as we do on the podcast, maybe you can just introduce yourself just a little bit uh, where you've been, where you are now. Share with us uh, who you are. Sure. So uh, Zoltan Heinl, I'm a professor of political science and, and public policy. I'm here at the University of California, San Diego. Uh, and you know what I really am about is sort of trying to understand uh, American democracy and the role that race plays in that democracy. And uh, use that understanding to try to sort of reduce some of the imbalances that we might or might not see in that democracy and to make it essentially fairer and more equitable. Yeah, uh, this book um, is is uh, so multifaceted and, and, and takes on so many, I think, assumptions that people make about politics and challenge those in such a rigorous way. Um, and you do so in such a, a novel way uh, as well. Um, and maybe we can just start there. Uh, that you start your book uh, by explaining that that your book is centrally focused on what happens after voting, on what you call the outcomes of democracy. Uh, why is this focus different from how other scholars have approached this terrain, and and why did you think it was a, an important way to to approach the subject matter? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's different. It's not certainly uh, absolutely unique, but for the most part, uh, a lot of political science is about the inputs of democracy, right? So, who votes? Who do they vote for? Uh, and and on a lot and the institutions that that lead to those votes or or non voting, um, and that's incredibly important, and we want to understand that. But uh, for a lot of us, and I think for those who think more deeply about it, what we ultimately care about are the outputs of democracy, right? So 
once that vote is counted, who wins and who loses? And then once people enter into office, um, what are the actions that they undertake? Um, who are the big policy winners? Who are the big policy losers? And then uh, even more deeply, uh, how does all this affect the actual well-being of individuals in society? And um, so, so I think sort of the importance of that is uh, is obvious. Um, what's been difficult often in the past is is getting measurements of some of these things. So getting measurements of who's represented, uh, whose policy views are represented has been difficult. And so, um, you know, modern social science, modern data has allowed me to do a little bit more of that. Your book is also focused centrally on the importance of race. Uh, it's in the title. Um, now, others have made the case um, that it's class and, and not race in American politics that explains the political divisions and, and outcomes uh, that are of such interest. I wonder if you could recount, you know, maybe, so what is the central argument for class and, and also what the central argument for why race should not matter or does not matter? And then we'll get to more of your thesis in the book. Sure. Yeah. Um, and there, there's every reason to expect class to be central in American politics, uh, especially today. So America has, you know, for the last half century been unequal. Uh, you know, we have a, have had a class divide in that that uh, income inequality, wealth inequality has just grown massively over time. We all know that, that that's occurring. Um, and so the life chances, the life perspective, the, the circumstances of those near the top um, is radically different from uh, those of uh, the average American or, or those near the bottom. And so we're living in these radically different worlds class matters more and more in terms of individual well-being. Uh, and so you would think that that should filter into our politics and that there should be an increasing divide between those who are well-off economically and those who are less well-off. And, and so that all makes sense. Um, the, and, and the reason to expect that to matter and, and race not to matter is that in many ways, we have overcome some of our racial difficulties. Uh, we've passed a, a range of laws in the civil rights uh, era that essentially have created uh, legal equality. Um, and we have all these signs that uh, race seems to matter less. Younger Americans seem to care less about race. They've, they've grown up in a much more diverse setting. You, you've seen America elect its first African-American president and then re-elect that president. Um, so uh, there are a wide number of uh, indications that uh, race may be declining in importance in society in general and in, in American politics in particular. So there's, there's a lot of reason to believe that it's, it is class and not race. Now, when you refer to race, and, and you make this clear in the book, but maybe you can just sort of briefly summarize what, what you mean by race. Um, what do you mean by race? Uh, how, do you, how do you measure it, generally speaking? Uh, and and, and what, is, what, is it, what does it mean? Who are the, what are the races that are central to what you're interested in the book? Sure. Uh, you know, and race is, of course, this uh, socially constructed, horribly problematic ent uh, entity that uh, you know, more, people don't necessarily fit into. And uh, we can think about race in, in all sorts of problematic ways. But here in, in the book, the, the notion is pretty 
simple. Uh, I'm looking at how people self-identify, um, and I'm looking at the, the largest racial and ethnic groups in American uh, society. So um, uh, largely looking at preferences of whites and contrasting them or comparing them to the preferences of uh, racial and ethnic minorities, in particular African-Americans, uh, Latinos, and Asian-Americans. Um, and those are the, really the, the, the central categories in the book. Now, um, the book has, uh, in very stim- simple terms, a lot of bad news, but but maybe we could start with a, a little bit of the good news from the book. Um, in, in terms of racial representation in office, uh, you write that substantial gains for almost every racial group, uh, uh, that there have been substantial gains for almost every racial group in elected office, the national, the state, and the local levels of government. Um what do you make of uh, the data on on those winning office and whether it tells a story of progress or or of something else? Sure. And, and there has undeniably been progress across the longer arc of American history and in particular in terms of racial and ethnic minority representation or descriptive representation in office. The, the number of blacks, Latinos, Asian-Americans in office has gone from essentially close to zero in the 1960s to the tens of thousands in total today. And we see those gains at every level of office, as I mentioned, Barack Obama at the presidential level, uh, but uh, everything from the the local level, city councils, mayors, uh, to the state and and Congress as well. So uh, those gains are real and they've been felt by racial ethnic minorities. They, They have created a lot of joy, and they've created a lot of change. We have other political science research showing that that sort of descriptive representation can make a difference. Um, uh, on the other hand, uh, the the reality is, is despite all that growth, racial and ethnic minorities remain sort of uh, greatly underrepresented at every level of office. And so, um, you know, whites who uh, represent roughly Two-thirds of the population represent closer to 90% of those in office, uh, at, again, at, at almost every level. There is certainly some variation, but um, we are still, the leaders of this country uh, don't look uh, much like uh, the population uh, uh, that that's voting for them. Now, uh, from a distance, uh, what I think a casual observer might say is, is, you know, there's too many other things getting in the way to, to draw the conclusion that race is is very important, the most important uh, and important factor and in, in things like one's uh, ideology or political views or even uh, one's party affiliations are going to determine much more about uh, one's uh, outcomes. Um, this gets to how you did some of your measurement and the data that you looked at. Before we get to your findings, would you just describe a little bit about uh, where you turn uh, for evidence and and maybe what the what sort of is novel about how you approach uh, these data? Sure, I mean, in some ways the 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 data aren't actually novel, and then I'm looking at major national surveys for the most part or census data, so sort of standard uh, data sets. Um, what I think is a is a bit novel is is one the breadth of the data that I'm looking at. So long time spans of, uh, in terms of voting patterns, long time spans in terms of uh, policy outputs. So we're, we're talking four or five decades. Um, and then, um, you know, the ability to make broader statements about who is in fact winning and who's losing. 
And sort of, I think thirdly, uh, a lot of the data that I have allows me to make explicit comparisons between race and class and religion and age and gender. And as you say, ideology and partisanship, all those things matter and they help predict who wins and who loses. But um, when they're uh, sort of essentially put up against each other, um, there are factors that, that matter more and factors that matter less. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash NBN50 to get 50% off. Some of the conclusions um, that you are able to support in this book, some of the findings are just staggering. And I, I just wanted to sort of very briefly read sort of a statement that you make and, and then give you the chance to kind of explain uh, how you got to this conclusion, because you obviously mean what you say. And so you write in the book, uh, even after considering political views and party ID, African-American voters are substantially more likely than whites to be on the losing side of democracy for every type of election. This is a big, powerful statement. Um, how did you get to uh, that point? What, is the, what are the key pieces that allow you to draw that conclusion? Sure. And, and it's actually a relatively simple process, uh, although it did take a lot of uh, data behind it. But so in, in that part of the book, what I'm, what I'm looking at is uh, the question of so when you voted, uh, did you end up voting for the winner in that candidate? So the candidate that you voted for, did they become the incumbent, uh, the leader, or did you vote for the loser? So it's very simple: Are, is your vote a winning vote or a losing vote? Uh, and then the the more complex process is adding all that up for uh, every individual and in every survey. So we're talking hundreds of thousands of people, and then looking at that across. Uh, literally hundreds or thousands of elections, uh, looking at it at every level from the presidential all the way down to the local level, city council, mayoral elections. Um, and then for each election that you voted in, looking to see you know, which demographic factors or political factors are predicting whether you won or lost. And what we see is, uh, and here's another sort of bright spot, I think, for American democracy, is that for the most part, there aren't big demographic differences in terms of winners and losers. So men across this long arc of time and across the wide array of elections win at roughly the same rate as women. Um, you see similar rates uh, of winning and losing uh, by class, by religion, um, and even to a certain extent by uh, party and ideology. And so, uh, you know, there's a, a, rare, a fair degree of equality in, in terms of the, the outcome of the vote. Um, but uh, beyond that, there is this 
racial distinction. So African-Americans more than any other group end up losers and they end up losers consistently across uh, every type of election. Um, and so you typically have a gap of, you know, blacks uh, losing five, six, seven percent more than whites on average. Um, and that gap doesn't go away. That racial gap doesn't go away when you control for all of the factors that we think matter. Uh, again, age, gender, religion, uh, uh, party ID, ideology, and so on and so forth. So you have this sort of unexplained racial gap in terms of who's winning and who's losing the vote. And it's, it's real and it's, you know, substantively reasonably large. And so, uh, it is, uh, for that, uh, in that sense, somewhat troubling. This would be less troubling if, uh, in spite of, of not winning in the electoral sense, eventually the policy benefits kind of accrued to everyone in some sort of either random or equal way. But that's not what you find here. And it's what you were describing at, at uh, the start of our conversation. You write in the book, race has the largest single effect on who government responds to. Race is twice as powerful as income or education in explaining who wins in the policy arena. This is an even a more damning uh, statement about democracy. And, and maybe you can tell us sort of how you figured this out, because this is even a step um, sort of more complicated, but, but more uh, telling about uh, the sort of state of the democracy. Sure. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, I think what we, you know, we, we care about who gets elected, but even more so we should care about what they do in office and who they're responding to. And so this is an, a, a really important part of, of what I'm trying to do here. Um, and so the notion here is, is to look uh, at the responsiveness of government to individual preferences. And, and how I get at that is I'm looking at national policy and I've got uh, uh, about, again, a 50-year time span or 40-year time span of uh, public opinion polling, uh, in this case, through the General Social Survey, which asked uh, what you want your money spent on. So, for example, do you want more money spent on welfare? Do you want more money spent on the military or less or kept it at about the same rate? Um, so we have an array of individual preferences, and we've got the race and ethnicity and gender and so on of each of those individuals. Uh, and then uh, that's matched up with what the government actually did. So after you were asked about the survey, we then look at spending uh, in the next year and look to see whether spending uh, mirrors what you want or doesn't mirror what you want. So if an individual survey respondent in 1976 said, I'd like more military spending, we then look in 1977, the next year, to see whether there is, in fact, uh, greater emphasis, more spending on the military uh, or not. And uh, we then do that for, uh, again, about a half a million uh, respondents over a 40-year time span. Um, and when you add up all those individual preferences uh, and all those government policy outcomes, you find that, again, uh, race more than any other factor predicts whose preferences are met. And you have a similarly large, about five, six, seven point uh, racial gap in, in responsiveness. Now, there are, there are dozens of other findings that are, that are equally powerful and, and equally uh, worrisome. Um, but I wonder if we could sort of take a step back and, and, and just look at the title of the book, Dangerously Divided. Um, you have demonstrated in the book the divided part. Um, but what's the dangerously part? 
Uh, what's dangerous to you about these empirical findings uh, that suggest uh, race is is so important uh, in make, uh, sort of deciding these kinds of different outcomes? Uh, why are we dangerously divided? Sure, and and you know, first of all, you know, division is a part of democracy, and so that's fine. And then there are also going to be winners and losers in democracy, and and that's also fine. The concern and the danger is if the losers, if there's one group that's being singled out and is consistently losing, right? So uh, I just mentioned that there's this, you know, five uh, plus point gap in uh, in in racial in responsiveness to different racial groups on policy. Um, but what we see is that gap exists for every policy area in almost every year of the past 50 years. So there's a group that's not only losing on the vote consistently. But it's losing uh, that's losing on policy consistently as well. And the fear is that that's going to lead to anger and resentment um, that bubbles over beyond the uh, electoral arena. And I think there's uh, evidence that that is, in fact, occurring essentially on, on both sides. Um, so, um, you know, with the election of Barack Obama, you see an increase in, in racial hate crimes, again, with the election of uh, uh, Donald Trump, you see a further escalation in in racial hate crimes, and you see that you know reasonable political division can turn into a a more troublesome, more dangerous, more violent uh, uh, relationship relatively quickly. And and so that's that's part of the concern. Part of the other, you know, the other part of the concern is you know the groups that are losing the most are in some ways the groups that uh, need the most help. So African-Americans uh, as a whole uh, fall well behind whites in terms of well-being, uh, and yet there are, our democracy is serving them less. So uh, both of those things are in some sense uh, dangerous. Yeah, the, the really, really fascinating book, again, is titled Dangerously Divided, How Race and Class Shape Winning and Losing in American Politics. Uh, the book is published by Cambridge University Press, and the author who you've been hearing from is Zoltan Heinal. Zoltan, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, it was a pleasure to be here. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.